right, well, good morning, Anthem Church. It is great to see you guys uh, today. Always good to see you guys. And so if you're new, welcome. And if you're here again, always good to see your smiling faces. And so this morning, we're going to be in God's Word. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Uh, But anyway, sometimes in life, we have aspirations or desires that, you know, we really love them but they're not necessarily possible. And so we have these aspirations that are impossible in life, or at least seem impossible. And so if I'm a Cubs fan, which I wouldn't get up here on stage and say if I'm a Cubs fan or not, but if I'm a Cubs fan and I say, you know what, next year is going to be the Cubbies year. The Cubs are going to win the World Series. All the Cardinals fans and Royals fans will be like, yeah, no way, that's not going to happen because the Cubs, they've been around for like 130 years, right? And they've won two World Series, I think. So they can make all the changes in the front office, get a new hitting coach, you know, new pitchers, change the rotation, stuff like that. It's just not going to work because it's the Cubbies and they don't win the World Series. And so that would be an example of an aspiration that's kind of impossible to happen. And so if you're not a sports fan, uh, another example I could use is if we change the mission and vision of our, our church and said, you know, we just want to be a church that prays for no more humidity in Missouri. Like we know that God's designed mid-Missouri to feel like a wet blanket when you walk outside during the summer. And so even if we got on our knees week after week and prayed for that, we know that, you know, if you're doing a two-second or 200-minute workout outside during the summer, like, we're going to look like sweaty animals by the end of that workout, even if it's two seconds. And if you're not connecting with that either, sometimes we talk about, oh, man, I really hope our government is unified. And that's never happened before in the history of the world. We have conflict with one another. We're imperfect people in an imperfect world because of sin and brokenness, and therefore that would be another aspiration that is more or less impossible. And I, and I bring that up to zoom in a little closer on our hearts and, and also talk about how we have aspirations for perfect family. And we have aspirations for a perfect marriage. And we have aspirations for a great workplace. And we have aspirations for a great school set up and, and a great degree program. But when we talk about having a perfect family, we know even in the most godly families, if you grew up in, in one of the most godly little family units there could be, Like you as a child when you were in that probably had some moments of stubbornness or disobedience. Or if you had a very godly father and a very godly mother, they had moments where they failed you. And so we might aspire and pray for and hope for a perfect family, but because of sin and brokenness, that's something that we can't have. A perfect marriage. My wife and I have been married for almost a year. We're expecting a little one next month. Excited about that. But if I were to get up here and say, you know what? My wife and I have a perfect marriage. You guys would laugh at me because you know that when two humans get together in one house, there's going to be sin that comes up. Sometimes I'm going to fail my wife. And sometimes she's going to fail me. That's why we have God's word as a guide to promote unity amidst our brokenness at times. For that perfect work environment. I remember one of the, the jobs that I really loved doing, working with a, a landlord. And it was a great job. I got to <clears throat> choose my own hours. It was awesome. And then one day I just showed up and got fired for a reason that didn't even make sense. And a workplace that I really had put a lot of just joy and trust in suddenly wasn't available to me. And I bring the idea of aspirations and desires up. Because this morning, as we're in the book of Psalms, as we continue in the book of Psalms, we're going to be looking at a theme that sounds impossible, but a theme that God's word is going to claim as true. 
And that's this idea that we can have a radiant life amidst affliction. That we can have a radiant, and what I mean by that is a, a full and vibrant and purposed and overflowing and God-glorifying life even when affliction comes up, even when conflict comes up, even when there's bumps in the road. And so from the, the pen of King David, we're going to be reading in Psalm 34, a guy who he himself had his own foolish moments. He himself had his own valleys of affliction. We're going to see through his pen this claim that we as followers of God, as believers, can have a radiant and full life even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Even when we don't understand what's going on. And so this morning, the, the big topic from Psalm 34 is going to be the secret to a radiant life, even when afflictions surround us. And Lord willing, what this passage is going to do for us is going to prepare and instruct our hearts so that when we are in a valley of affliction, we might know how to have joy and endurance and purpose even when that uninvited affliction shows up, because that's what afflictions are, right? We never ask an affliction to show up in our life. We, we never invite that, but it happens in our broken world. And so, Lord willing, this text is going to give us something to do. That day hits where there is that day of affliction, or if you're in that spot right now, by the grace of God, his word's going to bring you some truth. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to talk about the, the secret of a radiant life that we have in God. And so, Lord, we just come before you, and we ask that your word would instruct our hearts, and it would prepare us so that we might have joy amidst sorrow, God, so that we might have confidence in you amidst conflict that's going on, God. And so, Lord, I just pray over the next in your word as we're worshiping with one another, God, as we're taking communion as believers with one another, God, I pray that you would instruct and prepare our hearts to know how to have joy in you and purpose in you and radiant living even when affliction might come, God. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As you guys are turning to Psalm 34, if you aren't there already, um, I'll just give a, the, the quick outline for the morning as we're talking about the secret of a radiant life that's going to be, be found kind of in, th in three different things that we'll see in the text. And so if we desire to have a, a radiant life as a believer amidst affliction, we have to understand, number one, the reality of affliction. We have to unconditionally run to the Lord amidst that affliction. And then finally, unashamedly rest in the promises of God, even when those afflictions come. And so let's read through Psalm 34, uh, verse 1 through 22, and we will uh, begin to just take apart that, that first point there. David writing here says, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him, here's the word, are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, that is David, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. 
The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the, cry, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The first observation that we can see in the text is that David had just walked through the valley of affliction. David was just in a season of sorrow. David was in a moment of life that he couldn't control. And we can see that right there in the text through the tone and the feel of his writing in verse 4. He's saying, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. He was in a place of fear. The moment that he was in, he didn't know what was going to happen with it. And when he thought about the, the months and years to come down the road, he had fear of what that would become as well. And so we can see that he was in a place of fear. We can look at verse 6 and see that this poor man cried. David was in a place of brokenness before God. Have you ever been in a place of brokenness before God? That's where David was at. And scholars would say that the spot specifically in David's life that he was, was he was on the run from this guy named King Saul. And so he had kind of moved out of this glorified phase that we always think of when we think about David. We think about the sling. We think about Goliath. We think about that moment, and it's like, wow, childhood hero. That's not actually what it, it always was at that point. But at this point in his life, he's nowhere near that. He's in a place where, where King Saul has started to pursue him because David was the anointed king to come. And Saul, a sinful man, had jealousy. He had hate. He had worry about David taking the throne. And so David is on the run at this point in his life. And because he's on the run fearing for his life, that means he's left his home. It means he's left his wife. It means he's left his family and his friends. And so he's in a place of isolation. And so he, he goes and tries to find refuge at this place called Gath, but he shows up there and that doesn't go, go so well for him because when he's in Gath, they get wind of who he is Oh, this is the guy that's going to be the king. And, well, we can't hide somebody who is actually going to maybe lead us to have to fight them later on. And so when he gets to Gath, he quickly realizes he needs to shift gears. And so actually, in this case, he, he acts manic, psychologically not all there for a moment, so that he can buy some time to go flee to a cave. And then he flees to this cave at Adullam. And we could read about that context in, in 1 Samuel 21. And so David's just in this spot of life like none of us can probably relate to su super closely, right? But he's on the run, fearing for his life, away from his family. And so the first observation that we can see in the text is that the reality of affliction is happening in David's life. He's walking through affliction. But the second thing that we see in the text is that this wasn't just a David thing. Not just David was having affliction. What does he say in verse 
19. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Right there, he's saying half the world, people who are following after God, people who are made right through relationship with God before God, righteous people, they have affliction. And it doesn't just say one affliction. It says many are the afflictions of the righteous. And so David's saying, this is not just a me thing. This is a righteous people thing. If you follow after Jesus, there's going to be affliction. And so he's laying that out there. And we could stop at that and be like, oh, okay, so David and everyone who follows after God have affliction. But then what does it say in verse 21? It says, affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And so the other half of the world has affliction as well. It might not be in that season, but in a season to come, there will be affliction. So we see David laying out, okay, here I am before the Lord. I have affliction in my life. He's understanding that reality of affliction But he's also saying, and so do all of you, and so do I. And he doesn't stop there. All throughout Psalm 34, David exposes types of affliction. Affliction could just be a real vague word, but he gets very specific about the different afflictions in his life. There's the affliction of fear, of shame, of tears, of troubles, of bondage, a need for refuge. We lack, we suffer want, we hunger. There's evil speakers, deceit speakers, evil doers, broken hearts, crushed spirits, haters of righteousness, wicked people, upcoming condemnation for the lost. And so David is exposing there are so many types of affliction in life. There are things that show up. There's car alarms that go off. If you guys hear that out there. But there's moments, right, of affliction, and we feel that and we understand that. And so David is showing up honestly before the Lord and before the readers of this psalm and saying affliction is a reality. And this isn't just a psalm thing or a thing during his lifetime. The rest of the Bible affirms this reality of affliction too. In John 16, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the outer self wasting away. The longer we live life on earth, We hit a tipping point around 27, 28, 29, 30, where our body starts to just fail in different ways. Where there was once strength at 25, it's not strength in the same way at 50. There's wisdom there. There's more insight often, often more clarity there, but there's not that same strength at 25. And so Paul lays out in 2 Corinthians, yeah, your outer self is going to be wasting away because of brokenness that's going to happen to our bodies. In Ephesians 6, he he talks about us taking on the whole armor of God. Why on earth would we need the armor of God if the world doesn't have affliction? And so we are to armor up in Christ, to armor up in our faith, in salvation, in his word, because affliction surrounds us in the world that we live. We wouldn't need armor if there wasn't a war. And so David debunks this myth that life with God is without affliction and bluntly shares the world is full of affliction and it's out there but as we can see in so many psalms there's also affliction in trial and a war within us Romans 8 talks about how all of creation groans in Psalm 42 David talks about our souls being cast down and at times we question that God why why am I cast down and Internally, we have 
affliction as well. And so that's something that we need to be reminded of in our society today because we live in a moment where often, Matt's used this phrase before, I don't remember where it came from, but chronological snobbery, this idea that as future happens, as the world continues to age, it keeps getting better and better and healthier and healthier and we're smarter and smarter and the struggle goes away. And that's just not the case. There's so much conflict, right? There's so much struggle. And there's also theologies that would say, oh yeah, do you know, you just get God and it's going to be good. It's like God's word does not say that. It says there's going to be affliction. And so the first aspect of a radiant life where we're overflowing with this joy even amidst sorrow, the first reality that we have to get is that there is affliction. And that sounds super counterintuitive that with a reality of affliction, we'd have radiance. But it's not because as we are afflicted, it, it puts us in a place to respond by going to God. And it's often amidst that affliction where we understand and sense God the most. And his characteristics of love and faithfulness are, are more emphasized than ever. So the first aspect of a, a radiant life is how we understand the reality of affliction. The second thing that we see here in the text is, is David's response to the affliction. What does he do with the valley that he is walking through? The first thing we can look at is David's words, and I've already referenced this a little bit, but verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And so his reaction in this conflict that he's in, fearing for his life, his reaction is to cry out to God. I sought the Lord. Verse 6 says, this poor man cried. In brokenness, he goes to God amidst the conflict. He, he sees the conflict. He sees the affliction. And now he's running to the Lord with that, with his words. But it's not just these cries or complaints or requests of God, but it's also like verses 1 to 3 talk about. There's this declaring of God as this great and glorious being, even though he's in affliction. Verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord, what? At all times unconditionally he's running to the Lord his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul makes boast in the Lord let the humble hear and be glad oh magnify the Lord with me let us exalt his name together and so we can see in David's words both in brokenness but also in declaration and praise he's unconditionally running to the Lord even though his season is not one that he would have asked for or expected and so he cries to God and he declares God's praise unconditionally. The second place we can see it is in David's actions. In verse 8, David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 9, he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Verse 11, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What David is doing here, he's not just having this individual moment with God where he's crying out to him and praising him, but he's also gathering people around him and instructing them to do the same thing so that when they're in that season, they would also be realizing the affliction and going to God with that. And so through David's actions and through his words as he's calling and inviting other people into that, we can see how he unconditionally runs to the Lord. In 1 Samuel 22, we could read how that exactly was happening. In 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, it says, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, 
and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, that is David. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So David finds refuge in this cave, and there's other men around him that as he's in his moment of affliction, he is teaching them, encouraging them, walking with them, even though he himself is walking with the limp. We can see in verse 13 and 14, he's telling these men around him, keep your tongue from evil, turn away from evil and do good. So just imagine if, if I'm David and there's a group of 400 around him, he's crying out to God in front of them and he's asking them to do the same thing and he's calling them to also live their lives to glorify God. Countercultural, but he's, he's in that moment and he's doing it in honesty before the Lord and before man. And so David's response in the reality of affliction that we can see, see that through four different evidences, he understood the reality of his affliction. He cried out to God. He got out his 10th century feelings chart right in front of God and says, you know what, God, I'm in a place of fear. I'm in a place of shame. I'm in a place with a broken heart and a crushed spirit. He's coming before God with where he's at. We can see him calling others to run to the Lord. And we can see, too, how he's reframing this crisis that he's in. He's taking this moment of suffering. It wasn't just a moment. This season of extended suffering. And he's reframing that crisis to give God glory. And it, it reminds me of Elizabeth Elliot. I've read a, a number of her books. And if you don't know her story, uh, she and her husband and a group of friends were in Ecuador faithfully serving as missionaries for a good number of years. I think this was in the 1950s or late 40s, something like that. And then they're in that place. They're trying to bring the, the gospel to people who haven't heard that message before. And there's some sort of miscommunication. And a good number of those men die. And one of those guys was Elizabeth Elliot's husband. And if you can just put yourself in her shoes to be in a place where there's that spouse you've been excitedly waiting for and they're married for a couple years and then all of a sudden gone. They're excitedly on mission. They're enjoying just the, the call of God to go. And affliction comes uninvited. And, and what does she do? There's moments of sorrow and grief and worry and doubt and affliction and frustration. But she takes that to the Lord honestly with an openness and she uses that she reframes that for the glory of God I have a quote up on the screen from Elizabeth Elliot says the deepest things that I've learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering and out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God and so when she was in that suffering walked through that suffering for years, she was able to also be near God, crying out to God. There's just a sense of radiance in her life, even though it didn't make sense. Because she had noticed, okay, there's affliction in life, and some of that affliction has happened to me, but I unconditionally am going to run to the Lord, and she made that choice. And that's what David did in time as well. In so many psalms we can see that. 
And can we just notice what David didn't do? What David didn't do was let his primitive version of himself take over. When Saul was on the run, there wasn't this rage. There wasn't this anger. There wasn't this hatred. There wasn't this retaliation. David's response was not one of like the brainstem. That's like our flight, fight, um, freeze, complex thing, psychology, uh, psychology stuff. Good word right there. Psychology stuff would say, okay, we have these primitive instincts. That's like God's given them to us. So it's a good thing to have these primitive instincts where it's like, okay, where there's conflict, where there's something that happens right in front of us, we're going to have our natural instinct. And so if someone, like if Cole came up here and punched me in the face, like my natural instinct would maybe be to like retaliate or do something back, right? And sometimes there might be moments where something like that would need to happen if I'm protecting someone else, right? But as a whole, if that was my constant response, where I'm just using that, well, I'm just going to fight back. Or if our constant response is, I'm just going to freeze and I'm not just going to live life anymore. Or if our constant response is to just run from the affliction, we're going to miss out on something beautiful about understanding our glorious and faithful God, even in those seasons of affliction. And so we look at David and his circumstance and his situation, and we see that he's looked at this conflict and this affliction. He hasn't run away, but he's run to the Lord. And I think that is seen most beautifully in David's future interactions with Saul the guy who was trying to kill him. There's two different times that we see, First and Second Samuel, where, where David could have retaliated and took Saul's life. But because with the Spirit of God, he was able to have this unconditional love towards his enemy in that and not taking his life, but keeping it. And what a witness of radiance that had to have been to the men and women around him. So as we think about David and look at the, the fruit of his radiance, we have to ask ourselves, how do we live in the valley? When affliction comes, is there radiance? Is there joy? Is there this cry out to God of pain and suffering, but also this cry out to God of, God, how do I continue on with you in this? And not just fight and not just stop and not just freeze, but how do I be faithful amidst that? What do you do? with affliction when it comes. The last secret to a radiant life, even when affliction comes, is found in resting in the promises of God. In verse 22, David writes, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Over and over, David rested in the promise of God that he had relationship with the God of the universe. For Samuel talks about how David was a man after God's own heart. And so he's, he's noticing that affliction happens all over the place. He's running to the Lord amidst that. And what is one of the first promises that he's holding on to? The deepest promise is his salvation, that he's been made right with God. And he cries out to God. And he knows that if he had not done that, if he wasn't a servant of the Lord, he'd be a servant of the devil. If there wasn't refuge in the Lord, there wouldn't be refuge at all. And he knew that there was no condemnation in death for him because he was a child of God. 
And so he had confessed his need for God. He was adopted into the family of God. And he rested in that promise when there was affliction. But as believers, that's not the only promise that we can rest in. Like, there, there is more. God gives us more. And, and David lists just a huge laundry list of that as well in this text. And I'm going to rifle through it again. Because we need to have a place to go when affliction shows up. And so let's just rifle through the, the text here and see the promises that the children of God may receive. Even when there's affliction and even when we have been in seasons of foolishness. Verse 4 says that God answers us and he delivers us from fear. That's a promise of God. Verse 5 says we become radiant when we look to God. It says we lose our shame when we look to God. Verse 6 says the Lord hears us. The Lord saves us out of trouble. Have you been in trouble before? Out of trouble. Verse 7 says the Lord's angel encamps around those who fear him. Verse 8 says we are blessed by him. Verse 10, those who seek him lack no good thing. Verse 15, God's eyes are toward the righteous and he hears our cry. Verse 16, God will deal with the evil of the world. Verse 17, God hears the cry of the righteous and he delivers them. Verse 18, God is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Verse 19, God delivers us from afflictions. Verse 21, afflictions will slay the wicked. Verse 21, those who hate us will later be condemned. And so we have a list right here in Psalm 34 where we can turn to God and rest in his promises when affliction comes. We go into that fight, flight, freeze mode thing. And we just don't know what to do and we can't think. We can't process what's happening. All of our emotions are welling up. And so when we get to that place, here we have something to hold on to. We have our salvation in Christ if we're a believer. And we have these promises of God. Like 20 of them locked in one chapter. Where we can have hope amidst that affliction. And we can have joy amidst the sorrow. And so a radiant life doesn't have to be an aspirational life. A radiant life doesn't have to be an aspirational life. God redeems us as his children, as refuge and salvation. And he invites and welcomes us into the promises of God. And we have that hope. It doesn't mean it's all fun, but there's never going to be any fear that it's going to be conflict-free, but it does mean we can have a vibrant and purposed life, even amidst affliction. And so where are you at this morning? Are you drowning in fear? Are you brokenhearted? Are you crushed in spirit? Are you bound by doubt, drama, depression? Are you overwhelmed by busyness? You go to bed with not enough done and you wake up with not enough sleep and it's this cycle over and over and over again. Where are you at this morning? Are you crying out? Are you lacking in life? Does this phrase of a radiant life sound a thousand miles away? God's word has truth for us to hold on to in that. Psalm 55, this is up on the screen. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And so we can bring our burden to the Lord today. So right now, think through, what is my affliction? Name it. What's the affliction in your life. Write it down on a piece of paper. Put it in your phone. Think through. Tell the person next to you, what is the affliction in life? That's putting you in a spot where you just, a radiant and joyful life doesn't even seem possible. 
Maybe it's apathy with your faith, this numbness. What's the affliction that is keeping you from being able to enjoy the radiant life we have in Christ? What is the affliction? And so we bring our burden before God today. If you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, Christ was afflicted because of our sin. And he was killed, but he was resurrected. And in that, we have hope. He was our sacrifice so that we can have life, so that we can be reunited with God. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've never made that commitment to follow after Christ, the most hope that you could have in a radiant life would be having salvation, confessing your need for God, saying, I can't do it on my own anymore. And honestly showing up before him, confessing your sin and your brokenness, your imperfections, saying, God, I am done trying to do it on my own. And you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. So for some, that's the step that God may be asking you to make today. And others, if you've been following after Jesus for a good while or for a bit, What's the adjustment in life? What is the thing that the Spirit is convicting in your heart today? Is there a struggle to rest in God's promises when when conflict comes? Is it just life with loving other people around you just stops and you become incredibly internal? What's the thing, if you're a believer, what's the affliction that just keeps jeopardizing this chance at a radiant life with God? And I think one practical step for all of us, even this morning, could be underlined in Psalm 34 in our Bibles, putting a bookmark there and being able to have a plan in place for when affliction comes. If you're not in a spot of affliction right now, there will be an affliction at some point in life. And to have that plan of what am I going to do when that day shows up? What's that plan? Is there one? So this morning, I pray that God's word would just instruct our hearts and prepare us to know how to just enjoy life with God and be faithful and obedient followers even amidst the affliction. I'm going to pray for us. Dear God, uh, we, again, we thank you for your word and we thank you for grace and that you're a God of faithfulness even when we're unfaithful Lord you are faithful and I I pray that your word really would uh, instruct and prepare our hearts to know how to have a radiant and overflowing and God honoring life even in affliction and Lord I just pray that we would be real before you right now and be able to put a finger on what that affliction is whatever your spirit has opened our eyes to God. I pray that we would confess that before you and talk to others around us, bring other people in around us so we're not in isolation. But God, would we be like David? Lord, would we be like David? Who your spirit did so much work in, God. And would we be able to show up before you honestly, naming our afflictions, God, but seeing how you are a God of faithfulness even amidst them and bringing other people in when those seasons come. And God, I just pray that any distractions in here, whether it be the 
chatter that might happen, whether it might be the room that's way too hot, God. I pray that we would be able to sense and understand from your word a truth to take with us today, that we can have a radiant life in you even when there is affliction. Lord, we love you and praise you for who you are, for your gospel, that we can have hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.